Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, as we look at verses 1 through 11. And I want to talk to you this morning about going against the grain. Going against the grain. You know, it is hard to go against the norms of society and culture. It's really difficult to do that. I mean, this morning, I thought to myself as I was sitting here as we were worshiping and I could begin to feel the effect of that one hour that I lost, I began thinking, what if we just went against this? What if we just led a rebellion and revolution? I've got to be careful. This is on television. I hope the government doesn't come after me. Not talking about the government itself, but talking about all of us saying we refuse to change our clocks. What if we were to do that? We were just say, we're going against the grain. We're just not going to follow the norms. And we're just going to keep our clocks the same. Basically, that's what my dad does still. (laughs) Leslie will tell you that all summer he will say something like, well, it's not really 7, it's really 8 o'clock right now. I tell you, it's difficult when you realize you're becoming your dad as well. (laughs) But just if we went against the norm. It's difficult. Sometimes culturally, where you live, it's difficult to go against the norm. For eight and a half years, I lived in the Baton Rouge area. And I struggled. I struggled with the temptation that LSU brought me. There were days I came so close to embracing the purple and gold. And I would pray and I would pray and And I would call my prayer partners and say, please, please pray that I don't embrace such unrighteousness in my life. (laughs) And thankfully, God brought me back to the blue and red. Just a different shade, different color. But the enjoyment. It's so hard to live and to express yourself counter-culturally. It is. To go against the norm. To go against the grain. And yet... As I've been studying, as I've been looking at the Word of God and how Jesus Christ lived His life, I recognize Jesus lived His life and He lived it against the grain oftentimes. In other words, the cultural expectations did not dictate what He would do or where He would go. Instead, He was committed to the mission that the Father had sent Him to. And if that meant that He violated certain expectations, He was willing to do it. To fulfill the mission. Once again in chapter 6, you see how Jesus goes against the grain. How he actually confronts those that have all of these expectations regarding the Sabbath itself. And he brings it into focus and he gives us a new understanding of the Sabbath. And hopefully a new understanding of his authority over the Sabbath. Notice what Dr. Luke tells us in verse 1, it says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, 
the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, we've read the New Testament and we recognize that time and time again in these Gospels, we see Jesus coming into a confrontation with the religious leaders. And oftentimes, it is concerning the Sabbath and proper practice, proper conduct on the Sabbath. We have what you might call Sabbath controversies that Jesus faces. And Dr. Luke in chapter 6 gives us at least two episodes of where his conduct was questioned and as i read through these verses i find i find basically three general but poignant statements that we can make regarding jesus and his life and his mission i want you to see first this morning as we look through this that jesus says something to the effect that needs are greater than naysayers Needs are greater than naysayers. It says in this first uh, few verses, in verse 1 through verse 4, that here Jesus is on the Sabbath. They're walking, he and his disciples. He's walk, they are walking through these grain fields. And you may can imagine this, uh, just small little paths in the fields. They're walking through. And Dr. Luke says that they are reaching over and they are taking of that grain they are rubbing it, they are eating it, they are blowing away the chaff. That's basically what they're doing. And this was fine in that day and time. I mean, really, it was a regular practice. As long as you did not cut somebody else's grain, you were okay. You just, you could walk through and you could reach over and you could take your grain and you could eat it. And it was perfectly fine. It was a practice of the day. If they only had like lemon icebox fields around here, right? Or maybe steak fields or... But they were able to just go through and they would eat a little bit and they were eating on the Sabbath. The issue is not with the practice itself. The issue is that they are doing this on the Sabbath. And the question comes, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why are you doing something that we have explicitly prohibited on the Sabbath. Now, in the New Testament day and even before, there grew this great debate. It was an academic exercise of trying to determine what you could and what you could not do on the Sabbath. Now, God was pretty clear in his word. He just said that you would remember the Sabbath day and you would keep it holy, right? Work hard six days, and then on that seventh day, you would rest and you would worship. He, he was pretty general. So what they did is they decided that God's word 
God's law needed to be improved. That is that we had to come up with all of the smaller things so we could tell people this is what you can, this is what you can't do. So they debated on how far you could walk. They debated on how much you could carry. They even debated on whether or not you could drink oil to uh, somehow help your sore throat. And they decided that, yes, you could drink oil, and it just so happened to help your sore throat, then that was okay. But you could not drink oil just to help your sore throat. Think about all of this debate and how they were sitting around. That kind of reminds you a little bit of a bunch of Baptists sometimes. I always pick at our Baptists because I certainly can. And most of the time, it's certainly true, right? I mean, they were just having these academic debates and, and, and they were talking about what can I do and what can I not do just so they could help people. Get this. They decided that they would take the Sabbath, the day of rest, and they would uh, somehow come up with 39 categories of things that were prevented on the Sabbath. For example, just in case they forgot something, they established these categories. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, stain ch chain stitching, Warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, and marking. And I'm exhausted already, right? By simply reading the list. By simply reading the list, you feel exhausted. And yet they had sat around and they had tried to come up with such categories so that people would keep the Sabbath in an appropriate way. And they look at Jesus and his disciples who are walking through the grain fields. They are plucking, so thus they are reaping. They are rubbing, so they are threshing. They are blowing away the chaff, so they are winnowing. And all of this would be a prohibition of preparing a meal. So by some standards, they're breaking at least four, at least four of the practices that had been prohibited in just simply walking through the grain fields and picking some grain. Do you see how ridiculous this is? Do you realize how they had missed the very point of the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, verse 3. I love the way Jesus demonstrates wisdom and thoughtfulness. He says, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he went into the house of God, took and ate of the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. So what does Jesus do? He actually brings David into the conversation, King David. Now, for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, King David was this icon of history. He was the individual that really had led Israel to be the great power that it was. Solomon would come along and would see the nation reach its zenith. 
But most still credit David for the greatness of Israel. Go over to Israel today and you will see so many different things still named after David. I mean, Jerusalem itself, the city of David. I mean, here he is, David, and how wonderful he contributes to the life of Israel. So what does Jesus do? He invokes the name of David. And he said, you know, David, that guy that you uh, admire and respect and is iconic in our nation's history. Do you remember one day when he was out and he was running from Saul and he goes into the house of God at that time being the tabernacle and he goes in and he, he actually eats of the showbread, the showbread which would have been dedicated to the priest, to those it was holy, it was supposed to be uh, eaten only by the priest and not by the commoner, if you will. And David took it and ate it. And not only did he eat it, but he gave it to others. Now, why did he eat and why did the others eat? This is a, this is a key theological moment for you, okay? Why did they eat? Because they were hungry. That's one thing Baptists can get right in their theology. Because they were hungry. They were in need. There was necessity. They wanted to eat. It is okay to eat on the Sabbath. That's basically what Jesus says. The need is fine. And King David, who you admire and you revere, King David went and ate of the showbread. The showbread. He ate of it and he gave it to other individuals. Notice he had put them in a very precarious situation, hadn't he? Because if they had begun to complain too much, they would be calling into question King David. They were revered and respected and admired. And yet somehow through this, Jesus reminds us that needs are greater than naysayers. In other words, it's okay on the Sabbath or any other time to look at needs, the people's needs, and to somehow go against the grain, even though there are naysayers who say you shouldn't do it, he says it's fine to do it. You know, I've run into a lot of negative people in my life. You? Oh, I wasn't pointing to you. I'm sorry. I was not. But you've probably run into some negative folks as well, right? Probably. No pointing, no looking around at people. But you know, you've run into those folks that are just rather negative in life, in their worldview. It's, it's tough to be around them and you've got to be careful because if you stay around them a long time, you will absorb some of that negative worldview as well. These individuals that get up in the morning and instead of saying, good morning, oh Lord, they're like, oh Lord, it's morning kind of deal. Kind of like us this morning. There's a negative sense that you get. But notice here, these are not just negative individuals, but these are what I would call naysayers, these Pharisees. I mean, they are looking for anything and everything that they can criticize Jesus for. They're looking for anything to be able to bring an accusation against him. They go to the point of complaining and criticizing 
his eating and the disciples eating on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, needs come before all of this naysaying, all of this negativity, the needs that we have. Well, the second statement is very similar to that first. Because if you look at the second account that's given to us, in verse 6, it says it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. So he went into the synagogue with the intention of teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Uh, the right hand, biblically speaking, usually spoke of work, productivity. And it says that his right hand was withered. It was as though it was like tree bark that had been withered. And so the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. Can you get this scene? Jesus is there teaching. The Pharisees are there not to worship. Usually you would think if you went to the synagogue in the New Testament time, you would go to worship. They're not there to worship. They're there to what? See what Jesus is doing. And be able to bring an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. This divine activity of God, Jesus Christ, he knows what they are thinking. So what does he do? Well, he confronts their thoughts. He says to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Notice again the discernment Jesus uses in asking this question. I ask you, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? Now, they had to be very careful because it depended on the way you would parse that goodness, on the way you would define or break apart that idea of goodness. Verse 10, when he looked around at them, all he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So here's Jesus healing this man with a withered hand. Now, most of us hopefully would think that's a good thing. Do you know in healing this man with a withered hand, Jesus actually broke the prohibitions that had been set up by the religious leaders of the day? He actually broke it. Because you know what? They had said, after all of their academic discourse and all of their understanding, they had decided that the only way you could help somebody is if that person's life was in, a, in immediate danger. The only reason you could expend energy to help somebody else was if that person was literally about to die. The only reason that you could help someone else in such a way. It says in verse 11, they were filled with rage. We'll get back to that in a moment. But they were very angry that Jesus had healed this man. Let me give you a second statement, basically a general yet poignant statement, I think, for us. We need to remember this. You can just write it out like this. People are always greater than policies. People 
are always greater than policies. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, understand first, I'm a policy kind of guy. And most of the folks around here in the office, they know like, I've asked, we got to rewrite this policy and we got to look at this policy and we got to look at that policy. I'm kind of a policy kind of guy. I would even tell you that I'm kind of like a rule follower. You know what I mean by that? Like a rule follower? These are the rules. They apply to everybody. They apply to me. They apply to you. And this is just the way we're supposed to live, right? That's just kind of the way I am. Other people kind of like try to get the rules changed. I'm one of those guys kind of like, oh, that's just the rule. And we just got to live by the rule. I'm out on a limb here by myself. Not seeing a whole lot of just engagement here. You're not following me with that one? I mean, it, it just burn. Let me ask you. Doesn't it just burn you up sometimes when you find out somebody just kind of bent the rule or going around the rule? See, there are more rule followers here than you thought. Just, it, it, I just can't. I mean, this is the rule. This is the way you've got to do it. So in that case, I must be careful. May I confess to you this morning that this is my temptation of sometimes following the rule or the policy and forgetting the people. And especially when they're man-made rules. Okay? I'm not talking about violating God's rule or God's purpose, but I'm talking about man-made rules. The man-made rule in this day was, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, that's fine hearing you say that, but I'm not following that rule. I am going to bring healing to this person. I say to you that we as a people, as individuals and as a church, we must always know that people are much more important than any policy ever. People are important. How are we investing in people? That goes back to the idea of needs instead of naysayers. I say they go hand in hand. How do we help individuals? If we get to a point to where we have rules and policies that prevent us from helping somebody else, then it's time for a policy change. And Jesus, he went against the grain. He didn't care that the Pharisees said they couldn't heal. All he wanted to do on that Sabbath day was bring restoration to this man. And friends, when God does such a work, it should bring us tremendous joy and celebration. It's one of the saddest verses I see in all of Scripture. Verse 11, it says they were filled with rage. If you were to look at the original language, it literally means that they were like filled with madness. Insanity almost. That they were so angry, they were so mad that they were filled with almost an insanity. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that they would have reached a point that they were so hardened 
in their outlook and in their view that they could not celebrate what God had done. Again, I'm kind of a black and white individual. This is the way it is. And I grew up kind of in churches that I felt like this is the way it had to happen. You been there with me before? And I've been guilty of saying something like this. Well, that was a good thing. But I wished it would have happened like this. I've been guilty of saying that in the church's life before. Well, that's a great thing they did. I just wish they had brought it through these avenues. And I will tell you, the Lord has brought conviction in my life. And you know what he is, what he has confirmed to me is this. When God does a work in our midst, it's okay just to be happy. It's okay just to say, you know what? God, we're going to give you the glory for it. We're not going to go all around about our man-made structures or our man-made rules. God, we are just thankful that you have brought healing in such a way. God, I may not have healed him like that, or I may not have worked in that individual's like that, but God, I am thankful to know you have. Because remember, for Jesus and his mission, Luke chapter 4, what was he to do? He was to go to the brokenhearted. He was to go to those who were desperately in need. And he was not going to allow any kind of regulation or ritual to stop him from going. I remind you again, we ought to be very thankful for that. Because remember, even the ethnic rules and regulations that had been set forth by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Judaism that day would have prevented him from coming to you and to me. I am thankful. He went against the grain and he brought the Gentiles into his family. He brought us into his family. Well, they were so mad that they sought what they might do to Jesus. Can you imagine that again? They're so hard-hearted that they see a healing and their response is, what can we do to Jesus? And yet, let me remind you as well that they could do nothing to Jesus unless he allowed them to do something. Remember the cross, what they do. This was a voluntary act of Jesus. Nobody took his life. He laid down his life for us. Why? Because he had all authority. And that's what I want to leave you with, this third statement. The Son is greater than the Sabbath. I say to you, needs are greater than the naysayers. People are greater than policies. The Son is greater than the Sabbath. Did you hear what he said earlier in verse 5? The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he said. He said the Son is greater than the Sabbath itself. Now, the Sabbath was associated with Judaism. I mean, it was the keystone, if you will, of Judaism. Apart from the law or so, the Sabbath, 
Sabbath keeping gave them their identity and their distinction. And now Jesus comes on the stage and he looks at them and he says, Oh, I want you to be reminded, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, who gave the Sabbath? Who gave the Sabbath? Sunday school answer here. God did. God gave the Sabbath. Remember, when he gave those commands to Moses, the mountain was shaking. Lightning, thundering. I mean, it was a tremendous revelation of God as he gave those commands. Everybody among the nation knew that it was Yahweh God that was speaking, that was giving that law. And now Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, I'm God. You recognize Jesus was the one. Jesus was the one as that mountain was shaking. Jesus was the one that was revealing himself. Jesus was the one who was giving the law. And Jesus said, if I gave the law and I have, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, then I have the authority over the Sabbath. So even though you may tell me what you've come up with on all of your 39 categories of prohibitions, I'm still the one in charge. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Your Sabbath rules do not control me. I control, I have authority over the Sabbath. And Dr. Luke has shown us throughout this, right, that Jesus had authority over demonic possession. Jesus had authority over disease. Jesus had authority over everything, including the Sabbath itself. The sun is greater than the Sabbath. And he is greater than all of Judaism. He has now come to fulfill Judaism and to demonstrate his authority and his power. Jesus is God. So when we come this morning and we think about certainly what God would have us to do and how he would have us to relate to other people, well, he would say to you that needs always are greater than naysayers and our needs and others' needs should trump the rules and the regulations of others. Our, our people, people are greater than policies. I'll tell you what, if we got that when we walked out this, these doors, it would change our outview, our worldview. But he also says, and I hope that you don't forget this, Dr. Luke, as he gives us this account, he says, well, just to remind you, Jesus is God. He has all authority. He is the one who has the authority over our lives and over every aspect of it. We can construct all kind of man-made rules and man-made regulations, but guess what? They still bow before the authority and the presence of Jesus Christ. And everything that we construct in our lives should be subject to him and to him alone. And I would say this day that as we come to the point of invitation and reflection, it may be a point where, yes, we just stay where we are in our pews and we deal with God where we are, and that's fine. Maybe for us today to deal with those areas of our hearts that we do not become hardened by our own rules, but we're freed. We're freed to declare the liberty of Jesus Christ.
today in this place, it may be an individual that's been living in their own set of do's and don'ts list and just praying that the do's and how you have achieved those do's have somehow outweighed your mess-ups in life. My friends, you'll always be frustrated if you live that kind of life because you'll never be good enough. You'll never be great enough living your own list of do's and don'ts. But I say to you, if you would come and recognize your sinfulness, just as all of us have to do before the Lord Jesus Christ, he has authority, he has authority to save you and to work his life in you. If you would come and confess that sin, repent of that sin, and instead of living by the legalism, instead of living in your own structured legalism, you can live in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Would you hear God? Would you hear him speak to you this day? And would you respond? Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name. We praise you. And God, this morning in this place, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would challenge me and that you would challenge, Lord, each and every individual here. And Father, I pray that you would give us a sense of your liberty and a sense of your freedom. And God, that you would remind us, even when we, Lord, even when we are tempted to, Lord, construct our own list of rules and regulations. Father, I pray that you would help us to depend upon your word, which is sufficient for us and needs no additions nor deletions. Father, I pray that we would stand on your word. And God, that we would catch your mission and your vision of, Lord, helping people and making a difference in individuals' lives. Now, Father, this day I pray that all of us in this place would bow before your lordship. Those of us who are believers, that we had come and we would just submit our lives once again. Those areas that we've allowed to get away from us. Father, that we would just place those things again before you. And we'd recommit our lives. Father, for those who are lost in this place, Lord, I pray that today they'd give up their, their own list. And Lord, they would come. And they would confess their sin before you. And Lord, that you'd give them a new sense of liberty and life. Lord, thank you this day. Use this invitation for your glory and for your honor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?